0: You're listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast with your host, Johnny D, the motivational cowboy. 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 As a motivational speaker, Johnny D impacts audiences around the world with his message of living the outstanding life. He's a best selling author, MC, and two time Grammy considered artist. This podcast is a place where Johnny D can introduce you to his outstanding friends and share funny, interesting, and heart provoking stories. Ladies and gentlemen, Buckle up. Here comes your host, Johnny D. Hey, everybody. I'm Johnny D., the motivational cowboy. Welcome to this week's Outstanding Life podcast. And before we get things kicked off, I want to say a big hello to all my friends listening on Dirt Road Radio, KYDT 103.1 FM. Good morning, y'all. Today we have a special guest, somebody that I've been interviewing for years. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this man's story. He is absolutely amazing. He's motivating. He's inspiring. He's a man of God. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together right now for my good friend, Matt DeBenedetto, otherwise known as Matty D. Good morning, my friend. Good morning, brother. That's quite the intro. You talked me up, and I I
1: feel honored. <laughs> hey, did you already get your workout in this morning? No, not yet. That's coming uh, coming this afternoon. But yeah, I'm, I'll be doing my... Uh typical day of doing some weightlifting.
0: Oh, awesome, man. Awesome. Hey, listen, I'm going to jump right into this. And and, and again, uh, Matt, I just want to say thank you, man. Thank you for taking time to, to come on the show and, uh, and, you know, talk to everybody, talk about your journey. It, it's, it's amazing. So, uh, Hey, what inspired you to pursue a career in NASCAR? How did you get started in this crazy sport? Hey,
1: not, not a totally conventional way. That's for sure. We, uh, <laughs> So nobody in my family was, uh, was involved in racing or or anything. My my dad liked cars. He had a drag car for a short time, but you know, nothing more than much more than that. And we, uh, I was five years old. He was, uh, my mom and my dad were in the living room and my dad's flipping through the channels and he passed by NASCAR and I made him go back to it. And I kid you not, his quote was, what the heck do you want to watch that for? <laughs> and I, uh, so I made my parents watch NASCAR every single Sunday. And I also had a, uh, four wheeler and a dirt bike and I rode every single day. And that was literally all I did. I was outdoors or watching NASCAR. And that was it. Uh, and I played little league baseball and on our, uh, on our team, uh, one of the uh, the kids found out that I loved racing. My dad actually called me um, his little Jeff Gordon. You know, The kid's dad came up and said, hey, we race out at a local dirt track called Cycle Land Speedway, and it's out in Chico, California, um, and that's actually ended up being where Kyle Larson and I grew up racing together, So we, we uh, but we went out to the track, checked it out, and um, my dad asked if that's something I want to do and uh, the obvious answer (laughs) came out and so for my uh, seventh birthday I got a go-kart and we started racing and that was uh that was what kicked off the journey
0: seven years old you got your start
1: yep right at at the young old age of seven years old van and it was uh you know we just did it for fun we had no intentions behind it and even after we were having you know we were winning a ton and winning everything I mean it was just nothing more than a hobby and it was um truly from other people pushing us, saying, You guys have to pursue this, you gotta do more. Matt's, you know, too talented at this and so it's really other people actually pushing us to pursue this as more than a hobby.
0: So so your dad was obviously a team owner, crew chief. How long did it take for you to say, Okay, dad, you're done? We need to have somebody else come on board here and help me out
1: <laughs> my my dad was <laughs> actually called uh, he would call himself my uh my handicap because he <laughs> he worked on the carts and did everything but but you know wasn't like i mean he was fine mechanically but but we just kind of did it ourselves in an old school way but uh, but yeah it was uh, then we moved across country uh, when i was uh, 12 or 13. Um, from other people pushing and we were kind of ready for a change anyways we lived in california and we were ready to to you know move somewhere different so we moved to north carolina because we knew this was race country and everybody was pushing us saying you need to move to north carolina so we came and checked it out and so we moved out this way and started racing uh four cylinder cars a hickory motor speedway and then limited late models and then racing late models out this way but all that got cut pretty short um, due to finances, we uh, we actually had to quit in 2007. We quit racing. Uh, we sold. Um, I came home from high school one day, and our uh, truck, trailer, race cars, everything was cleaned out. Our whole shop was cleaned out completely. Sold, sold everything. Um, and not that my parents wanted to, it broke their heart. Uh, but they had to tell me like, "Hey, we we can't do this anymore. We're you know it's too tough on us financially and all." And I totally understood, obviously. But inside, I'm like, man. I don't like anything other than driving in circles. (laughs) So uh, I have one passion and it's anything involving racing and, and cars. And so from that point on, um, to answer your question, I was, uh, I was pretty much on my own from then and got super blessed, man, to just get an opportunity. Uh, another team, another late model team heard about us, uh, you know quitting and not being able to do it anymore and they said man they called us up said no we got to put you in our car and you got to keep going Matt can't be just quit racing and so uh they put us in our in their stuff and um their equipment was way better than what we had so we went out and we were dominating in their <laughs> stuff and we won at bristol and i was like oh man this is great so and that kind of kept my career going from there
0: So when for you was that aha moment, you know, we all have had in our careers, those aha moments that you're like, you know what, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life, or this is what I want to try to pursue. When was it for you and how old were you?
1: I think it's really been throughout a lot of the course of my life. And especially, you know, when, when we had to to quit racing as a family, as our, as our own team, um, people would ask me, you know, oh, what would you do if you're not uh Rayson, what's your backup plan whatever I'm like man, and literally through all the years I I could think on it as long as much as I want I'd never have an answer because I I'm like man, racing is my passion. Like something to do with racing and cars. I just don't, that's my jam. That's my life. That's what I love. And so my aha moment was the fact that I could never answer the question.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's when you know that you've had that aha moment when you don't want nothing else except to race. So like, did, did you give up like going to dances, going to prom? And all that kind of stuff that, that people have talked about because a lot of people don't understand when you're a race car driver or anything you're passionate about, you give up so much. Were you on that plan as well? You gave up everything to be a race car driver?
1: Yeah, there, you know, there were some, in some ways, some sacrifices where, you know, I had to miss a a good bit of school and our school had to work with me and our racing schedule and stuff, which was awesome. Um, I I did get to go to prom luckily, which was cool, but uh, but yeah, there were a lot of things that we did miss, but I kind of had a little bit of a balance. You know, I was so fortunate to have a great social life with friends and things. So I feel like I was fortunate to have a pretty good balance. Um, and all of it, but, you know, to be honest, a lot of my best memories are all at the racetrack. Even when I was young and growing up and we're racing carts and stuff, I had, oh man, we had so many friends and people, even from seven to 12 years old, I raced carts with that we're still, I'm still family slash friends with to this day, um, uh, which is amazing. And so I had a truly incredible a childhood and a in a social sense, and racing really uh, gave me so many friends and so many connections and things all through the the ranks. That there are sacrifices in some areas, but big blessings um, in other areas that carry over all the way to even, you
0: know, present day. That's so cool. Matt, walk everybody that's listening that are, you know, they may not be race fans. Walk us through your typical race day routine. Like, what do you eat? How do you prepare mentally and physically? You know, what do you do to get ready for a race?
1: Yes, you know, racing is, there's kind of two aspects I focus on is um, the physical side. You know, racing is much more physical than, you know, what I think people would understand. Like, i I uh, wore my Whoop fitness tracker at Road America a couple of years in the, ago in the 21 when we were we led a lot of laps there, and um, my what we burn and my heart rate and all that stuff was about the equivalent of like three CrossFit workouts. <laughs> so compared to me actually doing CrossFit stuff, so <laughs> the the fitness side is really big um, to me, and you know, staying fit, staying healthy. And then, uh, you know, mental preparation, you know, uh, the easiest way for me to relate it with people is to say, hey, you know, take um, like, you know, an NFL quarterback and what you would expect of that if you're placed in that position and you got your team, all the prep and all the things that are involved in that. And it's just maybe a little harder to see in some things in NASCAR, but take the same kind of logic and apply it, you know, where you're everything you have to be perfect you have to be so prepared you have to be so studied up it's you know it, it's definitely anything at a professional level no matter what sport definitely isn't like uh, like oh man you get to drive cars for a living that's cool you show up to the racetrack and race and have fun and go try and win and go home it's like oh no it, it's basically <laughs> like being a quarterback and you're preparing for you know your playoff games and and all that same kind of logic so there's a lot to it um you know and i'm thankful to be more you know mentally focused now than i ever have been because you got to treat the races like a chess
0: match 100 percent. do you have a favorite racetrack that you like to compete on and why
1: yeah i would say two answers to this one would be bristol motor speedway is a cool place if anyone hasn't seen that or Or anything, I would totally say check it out, and that's a bucket list place to go to. It's like a big coliseum, Uh, short track racing, super high banked. So I love Bristol. It's fast, and I've had a lot of success there. Uh, and then a road course racing is, uh, so then we're not just driving in circles. I love the, the right and left turns too. So road course racing is an absolute blast in stock cars. It's so much fun because the racing is really physical. I mean, we're laying bumpers to each other, kind of leaning on each other a lot. It's very physical and it's super fun, uh, running our stock cars, um, on the road courses.
0: Now, Matt, let me ask you this. What is one track that you look at? You look at it on the schedule and you're like, I am not looking forward to that track. I am just, you know what? That is one track that, that, that gets me every time we go mentally, physically, do you have one of those tracks? You know, n- not
1: totally. I would say the super speedways are kind of one of those that I think all the drivers have maybe a little bit of a love, hate relationship with, <laughs> but, you know, we won at Talladega last year, so I loved it then. I loved when it
0: at Talladega,
1: but Also, those are the races where, you know, you're all in a pack and you can do everything right in the day and you can, then you just get wiped out and like, you know, 15 or 20 cars pile up because you're all pushing and drafting and playing bumper cars at 200 miles an hour. So those races are really intense and can be frustrating sometimes, but also can be rewarding when it, when it is your day.
0: Matt, what do you do to stay focused during a long green flag run? How do you handle the the mental and physical strain of driving at high speeds, just like you said, you know, for hours at a time?
1: Yeah, you know, that's the the thing is, you know, even if you're in a 40 lap run and people are watching and it's just like, oh, okay, they're just, you know, just making a lot of laps now and they're in the middle of a fuel run or whatever. The piece that is so important is if you start giving up slacking off and giving up even I mean, we're talking less than a half of a tenth of a second a lap. If you just start making little mistakes or whatever it is, that stuff adds up, and those things are the difference in if you win the race or not, or all the way down to if we have green flag pit stops. And you don't get onto pit road perfect and maximize all your speed hitting pit road hard and you get on the brakes just a couple car lengths too soon. Well, you gave up those couple car lengths, um, and then you could pit and you know, hopefully your pit crew has a good pit stop and all that. But that could be the difference in oh man, but Kyle Bush got into the pits a couple car lengths better than I did. And then after it all cycles out, he could just sneak on by you. Um, And then you could be stuck behind him and he wins the race. So what people don't see is it's all the way down to the absolute finest details you can possibly even fathom uh, because those things are going to win or lose the race. So you have to be on every single lap all the way down to getting every single ounce of speed that your car or truck has in it. Because that's going to be the difference maker in if you win or not. And oftentimes races come down to that all the time.
0: Maddie D, let me ask you this then. How do you deal with the setbacks or disappointments during a, a race, like getting behind early or experiencing, you know, mechanical issues? I mean, you just said it. I mean, sometimes it, it's mental, sometimes it's physical, but how do you overcome those obstacles during a race?
1: Uh, you know, I, I used to not do that very well. Um, I, I I'm very fortunate. <laughs> I'm thankful now maybe just, you know, getting older and, and God's calmed me down a lot. <laughs> that's helped me more than anything. Um, but yet you, you can't, uh, you know, you can't get flustered. It doesn't help anything. You can't, I try not to say anything that's not going to be productive. Um, but
0: how does that work know, out for you, Matt?
1: <laughs> it don't work out <laughs> yeah i mean it's 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 super important to just stay um you know cuz you're going to have things that don't go right and sometimes your day is going to be defined by you know, maybe a comeback because you know we race a lot of times per year. Not every one of them is going to go smooth, and you can have issues. And there's a lot of things that can happen on a racetrack that may not happen in other sports. You know, like in football, you're not going to run over a piece of debris and cut a tire down.
0: You know, and, <laughs> and
1: in our sport, there's some you know variables that just happen and are out of your control where you know you, you got to play the long game and think of points and you can't give up and you've got to always be in it not get down and never give up so you've got to be in the game from start to finish no matter what happens and try and keep uh, the right attitude and you got to play it as a chess match and you also got to think the long game because you're also playing the points game for uh for the end of the season too.
0: Matt, how do you deal with that then when you have two different people in your ear? I mean, you have your spotter as well as your crew chief. How tough is it when you want to do something but they're telling you to do something completely different
1: yeah you know it's that's one of those things where I think like any job or profession your trust in your guys has to has to be you know has to be there your trust and communication has to be there and and I've been guilty of this in the past where I, I've really got to focus on my job and driving the race car and then placing my trust in my spotter and placing my trust in my crew chief that Their jobs are separate, are different than mine. You know, my crew chief's calling the race. My spotter's, you know, working with him and calling, you know, things on the racetrack for me and my eye in the sky – So you really have to trust them kind of like any job title, you know, if I'm the boss and I'm micromanaging my people underneath me, they're not able to do their job properly. And, you know, and sometimes there's going to be mistakes. Your crew chief, I mean, just like I make mistakes, my crew chief might make a mistake or call a race wrong or whatever, but your faith and trust has still got to be in them all while understanding that we're all imperfect and we're not going to be perfect every single race, you
0: know. When that happens, who is it for you that comes over your earpiece to calm you down? Uh, Jesus probably. (laughs) 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 No,
1: we, uh, you know, I, I mean, I mean this humbly and not that I'm perfect. Sometimes we, you know, we get flustered, your emotions or your adrenaline and everything's out of control in the, the race car. But, um, I had to really work hard on this, uh, for my, myself. I needed to, um, work on truly treating racing as a non-emotional, I had to cut all the emotions out um, and treat it like, like I'm sitting at a table in the dead silence playing chess with somebody. And I, and it took a lot of work for me personally, uh, to get to that point mentally, but I started seeing how much it started affecting my thoughts, my clarity, um, my focus and everything in life in general, but in the race car. And that's how I try and just, and, and trusting and knowing that it all works out the way it's, you know, supposed to and going to, and I'm not going to fight against that. Um, that, that sense of peace and calmness while I drive is not always perfect by all means, but that's what I really try and focus on. And, and, you know, and if you do, um, the good thing is if you do start to get out of whack and whatnot, you got your team there, you got your crew chief, you got your spotter that are always encouraging. So we all, you know, help each other to stay in line and stay focused on the goal.
0: Does a race car driver ever have a perfect race?
1: Uh, you know, I I've there have been some <laughs> where everything does just kind of go, you know, go your way. I, I don't when we won Talladega last year, you know, it was weird. I don't know if I'd call this a perfect race. We had to start in the back. We drove up to the front. Then we had an issue and had to go back to the back. We drove back to the front and we were in the perfect position. I'm like, yeah, all right, we're at third and we're ready to have a shot to win this thing. And then we actually had a right rear tire come apart with only 20 laps to go. And I'm like, oh! And then we go back to the back, and I was like, "Ah, our day's probably done. But I'm gonna try. You never know what can happen. And then we ended up driving back up to the front, and then we won the race. So that's not really a perfect day. But looking back on it, I would call that a perfect day because that was the coolest. I mean, the coolest story and coolest achievement. Say, yeah, we came from the back three times and won the race. You know,
0: (laughs) Matt, I, I I can't help but to think, what a great life lesson you just said. There are times in our life, no matter how good or how bad things seem to be, there are times that if you want it to be perfect, you have to fight your way through whatever those things you're fighting through are. And if you do fight those things, good things will happen. I mean, what a great life lesson you just shared with us.
1: Oh, man, racing has taught me so much, (laughs) you know, in life and taking, you know, analogies from racing, like looking out the front windshield. I mean, we always... It's amazing. It's just simple things. I'm like, hey, folk when we're racing, I gotta start. Folk, don't focus out the rearview mirror and be looking and worry too much about your guys behind you. We're focused on driving forward. Drive out the windshield, no matter what the circumstances are. If you cut a tire or something frustrating happens, we gotta look out the windshield. And then I'm like, <laughs> and you get aha moments. I'm like, man, that kind of applies
0: pretty well to life. I should focus <laughs> on that. <them." laughs> Matty D, what's the most memorable or exciting race you've ever been, you know, a part of? You know, you've been racing a long time. Do you have one of those races that right now, as I ask you that question, a race pops in your head?
1: Yeah, the one that always pops into my head of just most memorable on a personal uh, front is Bristol in 2019. You know, we were I was driving for Levine Family Racing. We were, you know, a growing team and we uh, went to Bristol and we uh, led. The last, oh gosh, I don't know, 100 and something laps and we were flying and dominating and uh, and we ended up getting uh, stuffed a little bit into the wall and got some damage when we were lapping Ryan Newman at the end of the race. Um, and that damage slowed my car down and actually cost us the win and Denny Hamlin passed us right at the end. And that would have been my first Cup Series win and would have been, I mean, absolutely Huge! The team's first win and all that, and it was such a heartbreak. And I was like, "Man, I got out of the car dejected." Um, but the whole place, all Bristol Motor Speedway, all the fans just started cheering, started erupting when I got out of the car. And and honestly, I I thought there was a fight or something because I was like, "Oh man, everybody's screaming! All the fans are screaming! It must be a fight or something." <laughs> um, and then I realized they were cheering for us because of the effort and knowing, you know, how big that was. Uh, For us, for us as a team and for me personally, my career and all. And that was such a memorable moment because I was really not sure how I felt emotionally. Um, And and the fans really carried me through probably one of my most uh, dejected moments (laughs) in racing and that. And that was a very pivotal time in my career.
0: I remember that day and you're giving me chill bumps right now. Just uh, why you're explaining that story just thinking about that day. It's, it it was very memorable for all of us. And, uh, those of you that want to go back to YouTube and and look at that. I mean, it's just an amazing moment. It was really cool. Getting off racing for a minute. Uh, you are married. You've been married for how long, Matt?
1: Since 2015. Uh, it was actually Darlington race week. We got married. (laughs) Oh, wow.
0: Okay. Those of us that know you and your wife very well, you guys like to prank each other. What's the best prank you've ever pulled on your wife? And then I'm going to back it up with this. What's the best prank she's ever pulled on you?
1: Oh, dude, this is an easy one. <laughs> we were, uh, but this was mean. But we were. <laughs> I had my neighbors in on this one too. We, I uh, put a fake rubber snake in our mailbox and I put it where, like, when you open the mailbox, where it was propped up against it, so you open the mailbox and it pops out at you. (laughs) I told told Tay, I said, hey, babe, oh, I forgot to check the mail. You mind grabbing it today? And she went out there, and the poor girl screamed so loud that the neighbors (laughs) heard it, all the neighbors (laughs) heard it. (laughs) And that one I kind of felt bad about, but I was like, man, that's a good one. I can tell that forever.
0: (laughs) Now, has she ever got you back? Um. Man, you know what we're going to
1: conclude out of this is that Tay's just too nice. Uh, she doesn't really get. <laughs> She doesn't get me too much. She just, uh, she's along for the, I guess, the torture of being married to me.
0: <laughs> that is awesome. You know, I, I read or I saw the other day that, um, you know, you're just a regular guy. People don't realize that. I mean, we look at you as a as a NASCAR driver, as a modern day superhero, but there are things that Maddie D is afraid of. And I, I found out the other day, I read something or I seen something on social media and uh, you got a wasp stuck in your car. And I guess you weren't so manly about driving down the road with a wasp in the car. Can you please share with me and everybody else what happened that day?
1: <laughs> yeah, I was driving, uh, I have a, a Corvette, a, a new C8 Z06 Corvette and by the way, it's a shameless plug there. I love driving for Chevy, and I love my car. And, uh, <laughs> but I was driving down the road, had the windows down, and a wasp flew uh, right into the car. And I was like, oh, man, I wish I could have been one of these other uh, drivers on the road seeing my reaction. And I start kicking my legs and my arms <laughs> flying around me and, and freaking out and making sure I don't like you know, veer out of my lane or anything at the same time. And I was like, yep, that's, uh, that's not my most manly moment. Glad that wasn't on camera.
0: (laughs) Has that ever happened inside the race car or the race truck? Have you ever got a bee or a wasp or something inside the race car?
1: I have, I've had a wasp in my race car before. And, uh, he was along for the ride at a couple hundred miles an hour, but I, I think eventually, you know, got out of there. Luckily that I didn't freak out as bad because our whole body is uh, completely covered and protected because all the fireproof gear. Uh, when I'm in my streetcar and he flies in, I was a little more exposed. So my reaction wasn't quite as good.
0: <laughs> That's what I think is so funny. I mean, you got the helmet on, you got the the suit on, everything. And you guys are like swatting the bees out of the car like you're going to get hurt. I mean, it, it's it's, <laughs> it's hilarious to me.
1: Yeah, exactly. And we're pretty covered head to toe, uh, them cars to be fire, fireproof, which is a good thing.
0: Matty D what advice do you have for, for some, uh, you know, aspiring NASCAR drivers out there that are listening right now that want to be you, they want to follow in your footsteps or they want to just be on a race team what advice could you give the men and women listening right now, or maybe their parents that want to get their kids into carding or into a car?
1: Yeah. You know, it's, man, I've been super fortunate. I mean, unbelievably blessed to be where I'm at. And if I wasn't in, you know, this place at this time, I can apply that logic for so many times over and over again, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. So, you know, a lot of it was obviously in God's hands and I'm, um, blessed beyond measure to be where i'm at and uh, you know i what i what we tell people a lot is um if i was going back and and we were doing it all over again is when we raced as a family for fun and we first got into it and we're racing go-karts or whatever it is that gets you in the entry you know level of the sport if you know finances and everything allows um sometimes along the way uh we, we it's easy to lose focus of of the fun, you know, of the fun that you have along the journey. And, and even if it is just racing for fun locally or doing something you enjoy or pursuing it as a career, I I would say, you know, not forgetting that it's just fun in general, even if it isn't, you know, a career, some of my best memories and, and like racing as a kid grew me as a human being, grew me as a person, like grew me in my confidence um, being in the atmosphere. So it was, Even if I didn't do it as a career, racing go-karts as a kid shaped my life and changed me as a person because it grew me so much. So that's one thing we really try and tell people is, hey, don't take some parts of it too serious and enjoy uh, the ride. But as far as kind of a different part to that answer is – or to that question is if you are pursuing it further – I'm trying to make it professionally or, you know, to the next levels. Uh, The one thing I was always missing on, and this has all helped me grow in this area, is uh, the business side of it all is very important because racing is, you know, it's an expensive sport. And I don't like to be like telling people like, oh, if you don't have a bunch of money, don't do it. Um, It's more so like, hey, this helped grow me as a a businessman because the sport does require – you know, sponsors and partners and things and and I had to actually grow as a business person to kind of tie this all together to make it work to be where I'm at today. So it's not it, it definitely goes beyond just the the part where we're sitting behind the steering wheel.
0: Matty D, you have some of the most loyal fans I've ever seen any driver have. Has any of your fans ever given you like a good luck charm, something something to carry inside that race car or that race truck?
1: Yeah, I've gotten all kinds of really cool uh gifts and and things from fans and i do and i'm so fortunate i have an amazing fan base that has followed me through thick and thin and supported me even through my careless mistakes and all i mean i've done plenty of dumb things too along the way so uh <laughs> one one that stands out to me just off the top of my head is there's one fan she's like they're wonderful people uh she gives she gave me some uh brian socks our dog brian she got us a pair of uh a socks with Brian on it. So that was, a, that was one of my favorite gifts that I've gotten from, uh, from a fan.
0: That is so cool. This question came in on social media. I couldn't wait to ask you if you could have dinner with any race car driver in history, dead or alive, who would it be? Why? And what would you talk about?
1: Oh man, that's a, that's a good question. You know, well, I'm going to answer this a little bit differently. Uh, I feel like a dream of mine did come true and I did get to do this uh, experience this back um, in 2018, I believe it was. We uh, got I got to go to Richard Petty's house out in Wyoming and um, we rode snowmobiles for the week. I got to spend time with him and his family and stay there as if I was, you know, family. And, and Richard Petty's the king, man, and he's a you know, he's a hero of mine. But now he's just truly a, a personal friend. Um, and such an awesome man, and that was the neatest week, sitting at the dinner table, riding snowmobiles, being at his house, and then sitting at the dinner table uh, each night of the week with Richard Petty, hanging out, sharing stories, and hearing him tell stories about racing back in the day and oh my gosh those guys are way more brave than i am it's crazy the stories they tell (laughs) i mean safety's come a long way that's all i'm gonna say (laughs) in racing and that was such a bucket list thing and an experience that i will never forget and a friendship that i value so much and if you'd have told me as a kid that i would have been able to just hang out and become friends with richard petty i'd be like you're crazy
0: Do you ever just sit by yourself or sit with your wife and just say, you know what, well, I got to pinch myself after all these years, after everything I've been through, I'm still living my childhood dream.
1: You know, especially um, as we've talked about a lot, John, especially since my, you know, coming to the Lord and my faith journey, 100%, I, I think all the time now i'm so much more appreciative of my job and what i do for a living and i'm so much more like excited and appreciative like a kid going to the racetrack and appreciating all the people and all that. It's like i've just come to life and 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 a hundred percent i i like there's all the time where i i tell people if you know if they're talking about the job or the struggles of what we do or whatever. I'm like, yeah, you know, hundred percent. No, no job's easy. Nothing's puppies, rainbows and unicorns. But at the end of the day, um, I drive race cars for a living, you know, and I have to remind myself of that all the time. And when I just think back to how fortunate I've been along the way, it's, uh, it's, it's very humbling to say the least.
0: Matt, one thing that I respect more than anything else about you, and there's a lot, but the one thing that I respect the most about you is you are not afraid to talk about your faith. I want to ask you, has your faith always been there since you were a young man? Is this something that just happened where you found the Lord? Could you kind of tell me and the listeners how you found God?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. I've been on a wild ride in life the last few years. Um It's to answer that, uh, no. I mean, I've of course, if you asked me all my upbringing and all the years of my life, if I believed in God, yeah, my answer would have been yes. But, you know, you know who else believes in God? The devil. <laughs>
0: <You> know, like, <laughs> right.
1: Like, like, everybody, you know, it, like internally knows, you know, there, there's a creator. There's It, it actually takes an, an immense amount of faith um, to believe there's not. So, uh, but— You know, this racing journey really, you know, God used it to truly save my life because um, it can be very, 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 very stressful for sure. And um, and I kind of had a plethora of things bearing down on me in life all at one time, and racing was stressful, and my dad was... Um, uh, battling suicidal thoughts and and issues and things, and then my wife and I weren't just couldn't get on the same page on things and weren't doing well, and and I could tack on more and more and more on that list. Um, and one thing I want people to keep in mind is, from the outside looking in, you know, if you're looking on social media land, my life looked great. It's like, oh man, Matt drives a Lamborghini and has a big house and all this. He's just I, I want his life, but you know what? People don't see is. We're all equally, you know, broken and battle this disease. We all have this one disease. Every bit of humanity has this one disease and it's called sin and it decays our life and it leads to death and destruction. But I was living blindly to that and I was living for my truth and my focus was on myself and my focus was on this world and my focus was on the temporary. And but all these struggles ended up truly saving my life because, I saw this quote the other day from uh, actually a, a Christian friend of mine who shared it. It uh, said the the quality of your life will be determined by the quality of questions that you ask yourself. And I'm like, man, that that is so good because all these things bearing down on my life got me to finally ask the real questions that I should have been asking all along is like, you know, what is the point of, uh, all this? And then people started asking, you know, when are you having kids? And I, and I started feeling, and I, I probably for a little bit was probably pretty dark to be around. Cause I'd be like, when are you having kids? And I started, I was so vulnerable and just so tired. I was like, well, what's the point? And, and that'll get some weird reactions out of people. When you ask a question like that, what's the point? Wow. Like I, and my, my dad actually asked me, when are you having kids? And they were starting to push on that. So what's the point? He's like, oh, well, you know, you raise them and you see him ride a bike and, you know, all these beautiful things. I'm like, oh, man, I I can't even imagine I I would jump in front of a car for my dog. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I love him so much. It hurts my heart. You know, so I'm I'm totally uh, in agreement with you on that part. But I'm like, but if my little girl or little boy came up to me and said, daddy, daddy, why do I have to die? And if I didn't have a true answer for them. Not uh, what my belief is or what my truth is or what I think. No, no, no. If I'm not – if I don't have 100% of a truthful answer knowing it, not just thinking it, not having some kind of religious belief about it, I needed to know the truth. Um, If I can't tell my kid the truth and know, I I, I refuse to have kids, and that's where I got to in life, Um, and it got me to – start opening my heart up and asking those questions, I started to pray. And then, you know, what started happening was people started getting thrown in my path. <laughs> and and I was, man, just blessed beyond measure. Of people started coming into my life and it got me to start, you know, opening my heart more and more and more. And then I, I, I got to the point where, um, you know, I, I understood that we were in a spiritual battle but I, I needed to know 100%. And I cried out to God. Kind of, I'm shortening this all up, but I cried out to God uh, one evening and when I was just, I felt so broken. And, and I just said, God, I need to know you. I, I know you're real. I know this, but I need to know you. I'll, I'll give you all of me. I'll, like, I just need to know the truth and I'll give you my life and whatever. And, and I knew very little about the Bible just other than I was YouTubing and starting to open it up and read a little bit. But it brings me to uh, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, you know, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I truly gave all of my heart and was seeking God above everything else. Not like, oh, yeah, he's there and that's cool. Like, no, I, I needed him. I realized my need um, for knowing that there's more. Uh, than just this temporary world of where 10 out of 10 people die. I don't mean that in a morbid way. Now I know the truth, so I'm totally free from that. Death has no claim on me. I have been born into eternity. I've been born again. I know, like, I used to make fun of that. I used to make fun of people if they said they were born again, and now here I am telling you know, telling people, like, no, God's kingdom is real. And my like my identity, especially in a world right now where we have a major identity, Crisis, you know, and and it makes my heart hurt because, you know, the the world's, you know, struggling. And my, when I changed my identity from myself to putting my identity in Christ and putting my identity in the absolute truth and, and understanding that God didn't come to condemn the world, He came to save it, and understanding that, you know, what we are reflected in truth is actually a beautiful thing. And the Bible is a love story. And when I learned how important my life is and how eternity is real and we have free will to choose, all these things just radically changed my life. And I was born again and the Holy Spirit came to dwell in me and I came to life for the first time. And man, um, to wrap up kind of this, uh, I always talk about the song Amazing Grace. You know, it says it. Amazing Grace, the sweet the sound, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found was blind, but now I see. I am so thankful every day that I was truly blinded by my myself. I was in my own way. Um, and when I started putting God first over myself, um, he has changed everything. My dad doesn't battle suicidal thoughts and depression anymore. My wife and I couldn't be any better. My life is filled with God's peace and joy and happiness. and I, And every day I can't help but just praise him for what he's done for me.
0: Matt, you are amazing. Amen, brother. Let me ask you this, though. God kept racing in your life, and you got to be blessed for that. But you also have what I think is one of the most awesome sponsors. Not only do you have an awesome sponsor, but they let you be you. How important was that for you to come back to racing with this, you know, being born again and finding the right sponsor to back you?
1: Oh, 100%. And, you know, I've made so many mistakes along the way, and I'm so thankful for having people like Curtis Sutton, who owns Rackley Roofing, to believe in me and get behind me and still allow me to be me and drive race cars for a living. Um, so, yeah, man, I'm just more thankful now than ever for what I do for a living, and I'm thankful to be in a place at a race team that supports me and is behind me 100%. And, you know, and there's... um. And there's a balance, like when I'm sitting here on, on here, obviously talking with you, I can talk uh, pretty, you know, more openly about it, but you know, there's, there's, places in the corporate world where we just we have to be aware and understanding of treading that line properly so i just pray that god uses me and my racing career to just spread his light and spread his love for others and it doesn't necessarily have to mean like preaching and sharing my whole testimony just the fact of praying that god chose what he's done for my life and maybe his joy and his light just kind of reflects through me and you know you don't always have to be preaching the word or the message just um Just living it and showing that, you know, I don't live for myself. I live for him and that. It doesn't matter what our job is or what we do for a living. He can use anything and anybody for his glory. No one person or no one story better or bigger than another.
0: Amen. Matty D. Hey, if if someone's listening right now and they're like, man, I really like this guy. This is awesome. I want to learn more about him. Do you have a website? Can they buy, you know, your hats and t-shirts and stuff like that? Oh yeah. We're,
1: and we're working on all that to make it even coming out with Tay's actually in charge. My wife Tay is kind of in charge of our uh, merchandise. So we're making some cool changes. Got some exciting things coming there, but uh, yeah, all our merchandise is on mattdracing.com. So that's my website. All my stuff's on there. And then uh, my social media stuff. I have a YouTube channel, um, and then we have Facebook page Matt Benedetto Racing, my Instagram Matt D Racing, same uh, with my Twitter. So yeah, we've got all the all the channels, man. Would love the support and the following,
0: Matty D. If you could pick any celebrity to take for a hot lap in your race car, who would it be and why? Oh
1: man, that's a that's a hard one. I feel like I'd have to think on that one. I haven't even. I have you know, I, I got to, I, I don't have the answer off the top of my head. I did get to do a cool one though. Uh, Tay, my wife Tay was probably the most jealous of this one. I got to take uh, Greg Olson, who was, you know, a receiver for the or tight end for the Panthers. Um, on a, a ride along at, at Charlotte motor speedway and we got to spend some time together. So that, that was actually selfishly very cool. <laughs> so I, I don't know, we've gotten to meet some awesome people, oh, so many cool people along the way. And Justin Hartley, who's an actor, um, has become a friend and we, it's, it's so neat in our sport. How many, you know, amazing people come, come to these events.
0: Have you ever taken your wife for a hot lap? Oh yeah.
1: Oh yeah. What I was that a, like? uh, Did
0: you get in big trouble for that? I mean, was she literally scared
1: to death? You know, my wife is like. Uh, sometimes I think she's more brave and more manly than I am.
0: <laughs> so I've well, got
1: they, a tough one,
0: man. Matt, Matt, they they say behind every good man there's a better woman.
1: A hundred. That applies a hundred percent in my life. And we, uh, so I have a Camaro, a, a ZL1, one LE. Camaro and it has race seats roll bar race suspension the whole deal Um, and it's a it's mostly a track car I can drive it on the street but and I do uh, but it's basically like driving a race car down the road but I uh, I take that to track days and it's super fun um, because it's opportunity for me to just have friends or my wife uh, come and, and take rides with me and ride passenger seat at like Virginia International Raceway and a couple cool places around here.
0: Oh, that is so cool. When you have a bad day on the racetrack and you go home, what do you do? Or, or let me ask you this, who do you talk to, to get over that bad day on the track? You know, my,
1: my wife is definitely a godsend to me for sure. Cause she helps kind of keep me, she balances me out for sure. Cause my wife is, uh, um, uh, different than me in the ways that I need her to be different than me and has a good level head so I would say um, you know I, I bounce a lot off of my wife and talk and and that helps because you know just like any job you know everybody has struggles and, and things in any profession in any job and you need somebody you need that counterpart or whether it's a friend or or your wife or whatever to be able to bounce those things off to and be reminded that you know of, of the big picture and then obviously you know, of course, praying and trying to keep everything in the big picture. I always say if I didn't carry an eternal perspective throughout my day-to-day life, I'd I'd be just a big old hot mess and disaster. I'm already enough of a hot mess,
0: so I don't need to be anymore. <laughs> Matty D., what's your favorite trophy inside your trophy case or in your man cave? And, and And I know you have a lot of them throughout the years of you racing, but the one that sticks out the most right now to you... What would you say it is?
1: It's definitely that Talladega uh, trophy from last year. That's such a special place. I mean, just... I mean, as a kid, I watched, loved watching Talladega and super speedway racing and to fast forward and actually win there and have the trophy. And also, by the way, that trophy weighs 80 pounds. (laughs) 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 So that makes it extra memorable. I had to tow it out of the uh, racetrack. I couldn't carry it. I was tired after the race too. I put it on a little rolly cart and had to wheel it out to my (laughs) rental car and I carried it on the airplane.
0: Where in the house is that? I mean, is it, you open the front door and there that trophy sits, (laughs) (laughs)
1: Uh, it's actually in my, uh, in my office, we have a, a big trophy case built, um, right in my office behind my desk where I sit. So it's a really cool backdrop by the way. So all my virtual meetings and everything I do, we got Talladega trophy
0: right in the background. Oh, that is so cool. Do you ever like talk or sing to yourself inside that, that race truck? Um, you know, I'm always pretty
1: like, there are some weird times where you do get to like talking to yourself but while your focus is still completely solely on what you're doing so I'm usually kind of like I'm usually super mentally I mean physically too but super mentally exhausted after races because it's like being just laser focused for a couple of few hours straight and then after you're done it's like wow you just get completely depleted it's like you've drained all those <laughs> pathways so being so laser focused for that long it's like trying to something that we'd normally be laser focused on for a really short time. You're trying to extend it out over the course of hours. So it, it just drains you.
0: Matty D what's the, you know, earlier I asked you what the funniest prank you've ever pulled on your wife has been, but I know you NASCAR, you know, drivers, one, you, ha- you guys have money and you guys can do just about anything you want when it comes to a prank, but what's the funniest prank you have witnessed or pulled on somebody in your racing career?
1: Oh man. You know, I was, uh, this is brutal. I'm gonna lose some fans on this one. We should cut the interview now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you might gain a few. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was uh,
1: I was driving for Joe Gibbs racing uh, years ago. this was early in my career, and one of my buddies over there would always come in the shop, give me a hard time. um or he'd always like pinch my nipples like really hard and <laughs> and would like just torment me a little bit. And I kept telling him, for a long time, I said, "Boy, I'm gonna get you back, and it ain't gonna be pretty." And he kept doing it, kept doing it, and then, but then I started asking him, "Oh, what you doing tonight? What you got going on?" And you know, usually be like, "Oh, nothing, just going home or whatever." And then, this is terrible. And one night he was, uh, I think he was going to, he had a dinner with his his wife or his his girlfriend at the time, and I I think he was, uh, um. I don't. I, I think this may. I'm. I'm just going to out myself here. I think he was actually proposing, and I went to the. Uh, to the. And I knew he was still going to make it on time, but I, I. I gave him a little panic. I went to the shop while he was working, uh, and I went out in the parking lot and I jacked his car up, put it on jack stands, took all his tires off, and took all the air out of his uh, <laughs> tires, and then and then I left and went home. <laughs> <laughs> So that was brutal. Oh, I never,
0: I didn't expect that at all. That is hilarious. Hey, do you ever sing karaoke? And if so, what is your 2 go to karaoke song?
1: No, I, uh, I don't because nobody will ever want to hear that. It ain't going to be pretty. I'll leave that to my wife. So, um... You know, if if my go-to karaoke song would would be, man, I don't know. I I like uh, listening to, it's like my gym playlist. I like listening to some uh, Toby Mac songs and stuff and singing along, but you don't want to hear me singing out loud. It's just not going to be pretty. That's why
0: I like singing at church because nobody can actually hear me because everybody else is really loud. And the music's loud exactly. and everything else.
1: <laughs> yeah, I can sing along then out loud, and I'm good because I'm drowned out by everybody <laughs> right. else. Right.
0: <laughs> hey, Matt, with just a couple minutes left, I'm going to play this this or that with you. Beach vacation or mountain getaway?
1: Oh, beach for sure. Tay's going to be on that same page too.
0: Are you an early bird or a night owl?
1: I, I used to be a night owl, but now, uh, now I'm now i waking up earlier.
0: Movie theater or streaming service? Uh, movie theater because of the popcorn. <laughs> home cooked meal or a takeout?
1: Uh, oh, everybody knows me knows I love to cook, so definitely home cooked
0: meal. Let me ask you this. A comedy or a drama movie?
1: Oh, uh, definitely comedy.
0: Uh, camping or staying at a hotel?
1: We have a camper, and we love some camping, so that's that's our yeah. job. All right.
0: Online shopping or in-store shopping?
1: Uh, probably online. I'm not a good shopper.
0: Are you a runner? Or do you like cycling?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> it, it would just be weightlifting. That's my that's my passion. In the last
0: one, would you rather text or call somebody?
1: Uh, definitely text.
0: All right, one more: board games or video games?
1: Um, video games, but I would have to take it a step further and say iRacing. racing. That's that I've been on since two thousand nine, and it is fun. Winter
0: sports. Or summer sports summer Maddie D. I can't thank you enough for coming on the outstanding life podcast, but I cannot let you go without asking you to end this podcast with a prayer and if you could could you bless us all with a prayer
1: absolutely man i'd be honored and humbled to yeah lord thank you for this time with john and thank you for his podcast and the ability to reach you know so many wonderful people tuning in and listening and god we just pray uh we just pray that you bless each and everyone listening to this podcast and thank you for the time that they've spent with us today lord and we pray um if any of them don't know you personally god and have that personal relationship lord we just pray that you bless them and reach out to them and bring them right into your presence and to be born in your eternal kingdom and we just want to thank you so much for your truth your peace and your love and your love for us lord in jesus name we pray amen
0: Thank you so much. That's Matt DiBenedetto, Matty D. Make sure you check him out online on social media. Make sure you pick up one of his new hats, one of his new T-shirts. Again, I just want to thank you, everybody listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Again, I'm Johnny D., the Motivational Cowboy, telling you, be safe, have fun, and have yourself an outstanding day. We'll see you next time right here on the Outstanding Life Podcast. Thanks for listening to my Outstanding Life podcast. I hope that you found inspiration, motivation, and confidence in your own life through the stories and experiences shared today by NASCAR driver, Matty D. Remember, life is a journey, and it is never too late to start living an outstanding life. So take the first step and believe in yourself. Keep listening to the Outstanding Life podcast on all major platforms, and stay tuned for more amazing episodes that will lift your spirits, challenge your thoughts, and make you laugh. Once again, thank you for joining us and continue to live your life the way it was meant to be lived, with purpose and joy. Have an outstanding day. Are you planning a conference, convention, meeting, assembly, or any live event that needs a guest speaker? I would love to be a part of it. For more information, visit MotivationalCowboy.com. Have an outstanding day. Thanks for listening to the Outstanding Life Podcast. Follow Johnny D on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Motivational Cowboy. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, advertise, or would like to make a donation, please visit MotivationalCowboy.com. And remember to have an outstanding day.